Welcome all to a very special episode of We The Scenario. As always, the dynamic duo is here for all your hosted needs. I'm Tony Siona alongside the incomparable Miss Maggie B. This week, we are excited to have a bona fide star on our show today. With a laundry list of accomplishments, along with an extensive list of work he is doing today, we are in for a great interview, folks. An alumni of Cal Berkeley, Stanford University, as well as John F. Kennedy University, founder, president, and chief executive officer of the Social Engineering Project Incorporated. Please, everyone, join me in welcoming Sir Kevin Nichols. Thank you for joining us today, brother. Thank you for having me. I mean, we appreciate your time. At this point, I'm going to pass the mic on to the incomparable Miss Maggie B. Miss Maggie B., please take the floor. Thank you, Tone, and thanks, Kevin, again for joining us today. Um, to get started, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, and then what inspired you to join us on We The Scenario today? Um, okay, my name is Kevin Nichols. I am the founder, president, and CEO of the Social Engineering Project. It is an organization that I started five years ago with a, my business partner, Dr. Brian Brown, who's a professor at Stanford, who we actually went to high school together. Um, I guess my background is uh, technology, engineering, uh, and working in the legal industry for about 12 years, and then uh, starting my own consulting firm and starting this nonprofit organization. What brought me to this organization or to you guys is Dwayne. Uh, we've crossed paths in various times in our careers, and uh, he invited me to be a guest. And after seeing so many wonderful guests that you've all had, I thought that it would be uh, it would make sense to accept that offer, and that's why I'm here. Awesome, awesome. So before we get to your really long and impressive um, resume. Um, and career experience, can we start by just having you tell us about where you grew up and kind of what your experiences in middle school and high school were like? I grew up in a small town called El Cerrito, um, where I was, I was actually born at Alta Base Hospital in Berkeley. So um, most of my career in school has been in Berkeley. But I, I went to St. Jerome's Elementary School in El Cerrito uh, and then went to uh, St. Mary's High School in Berkeley and then uh, went to UC Berkeley. Uh, I guess what I would say is my, my upbringing was kind of weird in the sense that, although I lived in El Cerrito, I played youth sports and grew up in Richmond pretty much. And then when I got to high school, uh, a lot of the things that I was involved in and did was in Berkeley and Oakland. So my network of people uh, growing up has been, I guess, very interesting. I'd say that I had been in a lot of uh, uh, precarious situations growing up, um, lots of drugs, lots of violence around me, but uh, everyone that I interacted with always kind of felt that I was going to do something different. And so I was shielded from a lot of things that a, a lot of other students and a lot of other kids growing up in these neighborhoods um, were exposed to. So for that, I'm grateful. Um, and, but growing up for me has been, I would say relatively easy uh, in that sense. I've always been a community organizer, a community activist, and I started practically when I ran for school treasurer in fourth grade. And uh, since then have been in politics in some shape or form. Uh, and we can get into that a little bit more later. Nice. I am also from El Cerrito and I went to St. Mary's for high school as well. So, well, that's number one, I call it East Side El Cerrito because every every East Side of a city has to be a little harder than the other. So I grew mm -hmm. up in the East Side. And then also uh, with regards to St. Mary's, we didn't have females when I went there. Um, but nevertheless, um, very still active in school and uh, part of uh, we're creating actually a, a Black Alumni Association right now. Would love to talk to you offline about your experience as an alum, because I am saddened that a lot of uh, women who've attended the school don't feel the same connection as a lot of the men do. So we can talk about that later. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, yeah. So what made you decide to go into law when you went on to college and beyond? Um, so my background was mechanical engineering. I chose engineering because I thought that um, there weren't a lot of black engineers, particularly in, in the mechanical discipline. So I did a lot of math and science courses growing up. I, I got to Cal and I did uh, an internship through the Inroads program at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory doing mechanical engineering. And that's where I decided I didn't want to be an engineer. <laughs> 
nevertheless, I actually uh, transitioned. My boss ran the affirmative action diversity program there. And uh, I transitioned into that program. And that's when I decided that I, I wanted to be a civil rights attorney and do more um, community activism as a career. So after I left Berkeley and went to my first law firm, Morrison and Forrester, that's where I decided that I didn't want to practice law either. Um, but what I did learn is that uh, the relationships that I was building and making would take me somewhere. I just didn't know exactly where. And uh, after a uh, I also got involved in doing pro bono work. So we actually represented a lot of uh, prisoners' rights cases on a pro bono level. So I ended up getting involved in working on those cases, work, representing one, an inmate in Pelican Bay State Prison. So I was traveling up and down to Pelican Bay to review his file and to meet with them and prepare him for depositions and things of that nature. So ended up getting a little bit of taste of what I actually thought I wanted to do in law school. And, and, I, and to involve fairness, I probably would have stayed with the law if I'd worked somewhere else, but a big corporate law firm, you work 12, 14 hour days, and that wasn't the quality of life that I wanted. Nevertheless, I ended up staying in the legal industry for about 12 years, starting diversity programs in the law firms that I worked at, and eventually matriculated back to technology and got involved in what you call electronic discovery or e-discovery. So I ended up getting into the tech side of the legal practice, and that's kind of how I was able to satisfy both my desire to be in technology and also work in the legal field. So then I just fast forwarding, just to the, I got into sales and basically got paid to introduce my introduce products and services for e-discovery to the contacts that I made in the six law firms that I worked at in the 12 years I was in the legal industry. And so I ended up getting paid to meet more lawyers, which was pretty fun. And I started my own consulting firm. Then I started the social engineering project, which the name comes from a quote from Charles Hamilton Houston, who said a lawyer is either a social engineer or a parasite on society. So technically I'm not a lawyer or an engineer, but the purpose of the organization's name means that you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And so that's what the organization kind of stands for is a, a, a culmination of my career and how I got to be where I'm at. Nice, yeah, I saw that quote on your website when I was doing some research the other day. I really liked that. Um, so tell us more about the social engineering project and kind of what drove you to start the organization and then why um, diversity in technology and any industry is so important. So when I grew up, like as I mentioned, it was very important for me to uh, fall in love with math and science at a young age. So I, I spent my summers at UC Berkeley's um, Mesa program and, and my Saturdays there throughout high school. I also had some unique opportunities to go to study abroad. Uh, if you've ever heard of an organization called Summer Search, um, that organization is designed to get young people to go outdoors and that kind of stuff. I was the third student to do Summer Search and the first student to actually go to school instead of doing an outdoor excursion. So I went to show at Rosemary Hall, which uh, Tariq from power made famous uh, the last few years, but most people hadn't heard of it, but it's a, a boarding school in Wallingford, Connecticut. And then I also did a, a program at, uh, the chair program at Northwestern University for math and science and engineering. So I prepared myself to do this, was involved in the National Society of Black Engineers in the Nesby Junior in high school. And just, I, I recognized how important STEM education was. And although I chose a different path, I always knew that excelling in math and science was a very good thing for young kids. So taking that to my business partner uh, who basically wrote a grant to the National Science Foundation to take 10 students from historically black colleges and universities, bring them to Stanford to learn the culturally relevant curriculum that he developed uh, with the goal of getting young kids interested in math and science uh, was a, a, a no brainer for me to uh, get involved in. Uh, for their final day, these students were asked to run a week-long day camp called Science in the City. And so he did all this work behind the scenes back in 2012. And he just asked for me to help him get 50 students to come to Stanford for a free summer camp, which literally was like two Facebook posts for me. So if, <laughs> the first two years, all I did was get them 50 kids who, who would go to Stanford for free, which wasn't a tough sale, closed the deal. But uh, at the same time, I looked at after those two years were over, uh, he didn't renew the grant and wanted to continue to do this work. So I told him that I would help him continue doing the science camp. So we thought the tech industry, we thought philanthropy and everyone else would embrace 
a, a program that has been proven for two years for 50 students to get exposed to traditional STEM and that all these different companies and organizations would funnel money into keeping this going. We were wrong. We didn't raise any money and we didn't have a science in the city camp uh, year three. So that's when I started pulling back from my consulting and having different conversations with the people that I was selling services to and asking them what they're passionate about and what they would like to invest in in the future. That's how I ended up getting a buddy of mine from Google to um, consider investing and, 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 and sponsoring the next science in the city. From there, we were able to raise money from different companies and eventually start the social engineering project, which uh, I kind of started kicking and screaming because the last thing I wanted to do is start a, or a new organization. But at the same time, uh, Google said, well, who do we write the check out to? And then how, that's how the social engineering project was born. Nice. I really like the idea of so or um, culturally relevant or culturally competent curriculum to get diverse students or students of color interested in STEM. I think that's so important. Um, also, a side note, I also have worked with Summer Search uh, when I was first out of college. Um, so that's really cool that you were a part of that organization as well. Yeah, my counselor at St. Mary's brought that to me, Mr. Harper. And from there, I was very active in Summer Search. And then I'm active in the alumni and I do workshops for them. And I'm still very involved. They actually fund our organization as well. They, they give us grants. So uh, Summer Search is very near and dear to my heart. That's great. I have a question about Digital Promise. Uh, I see you're still involved in that. Um, how is that coming along right now and being a member of the board? You know, how are you guys pushing that forward to make sure everybody's getting to be a part of this program? So Digital Promise is the umbrella organization of an organization that I'm a part of. Uh, it's called the uh, Center for uh, Inclusive in Innovation um, for Education. And it is based out of DC, Maryland, Virginia area, but it's a, a national program that brings thought leaders in the, in the education space to kind of hack or design think, so to speak, of how to get more black and brown underserved students uh, into education and get them the skills and tools that they need to be successful in their professional career. So I um, got involved with it, being involved in a focus group a year and a half or so ago. Um, and because of that, they invited me to be a part of the board. And since then we meet monthly to brainstorm and, and collaborate and try to figure out how to get uh, the best outcomes possible for black and brown students nationwide. Okay, that's, that's going to strike me right into my next question. Uh, AAWP, um, are you still involved or is that a company that you're not involved with anymore? Because it seems like that's something that we definitely need in Oakland. So um, are you well, involved? It's, in it's based in Oakland and uh, it's actually yeah. run by, uh, it's a, it was created about 22 years ago from Dr. Michael A. Lenore, who is an allergist and, and pediatrician in the Bay Area has been practicing for probably 40 or 50 years. So a lot of people have been, you know, that's been their doctor growing up, et cetera. He just happens to be my cousin. And so uh, my, my involvement and in ro in role of running the affirmative, I mean, the African-American wellness project was um, uh, several years ago, he was his second term of being the president of the National Medical Association, which is, um, the organization for black doctors internationally. Um, so this was, he had been president back in the day and he had a second term uh, that came up and he couldn't run that organization, his practice and keep the AWP working. So I took that over as a, a, um, as a family gesture. Ended up taking a little longer than I had anticipated, but nevertheless, uh, it's a wonderful organization. Its focus is to do messaging, branding, marketing, uh, helping black people navigate the healthcare system and hopefully getting them to be um, better advocates for themselves. So the, he's got a new thing called Black Doctors Speak. It's on live, Facebook Live and other places. Um, they do weekly podcasts and conversations about uh, COVID-19 and other um, current immediate health-related issues affecting the Black community. 
and uh, that messaging you, nobody listens to the radio anymore, but uh, take a minute for your health and, and uh, 30, 30 second spots on KBLX. He's been running for 25, 30 years. So um, uh, definitely out there based in Oakland um, and could use any support that you guys um, could give it. I see you're also in consulting groups. Um, KLN, can you speak to KLN Consulting Group? KLN Consulting Group is an organization that I started uh, around 2012. It was basically taking the things that I loved from the legal industry and doing that. Um, around, I guess, when the economy tanked in 2008, 2009, I got into sales. And then uh, there were many things that I loved about sales. Number one, I loved getting paid six figures, flying up and down the West Coast and taking people out to eat and play golf with them and expensing that and not paying a dime. That's pretty cool. I don't really consider that work. However, um, you, you have to call 35 to 40 people a day and create these huge sales funnels in order to be able to justify that kind of lifestyle. And so I recognized that I was burning through my contacts and making uh, people dodge my phone calls and become a bugaboo, which I don't <laughs> like. So I ended up um, starting my own consulting firm, basically working with vendors that I liked, selling products and services that I enjoy, um, helping, I, I focus in three different areas. So the first area was litigation technology. That was my bread and butter. Um, then I focused on diversity. I created the diversity program at Morrison and Forster when I was there in the late nineties. And I ran the diversity program for the West Coast of Holland and Knight law firm. So I had experience with that. So I, I and then I, the last thing I did was social media marketing and branding for lawyers and law firms. So those three things I put into one industry, the legal industry, and uh, offered those three services. So any given day, I was working on three different types of projects, which kept me busy because I don't know if I'm part Jamaican or not, but I have a lot of uh, things going on and I like to be so. stimulated. I believe so. I mean, all these companies are still like present. They're still doing these things now. So it's really impressive. <laughs> it's really impressive. Go ahead, Ms. Max. Yeah, so, yeah, as we can see, you are, you've done so many amazing things. Um, how, how has all this changed within the last year, 2020 and 2021, with the pandemic and then everything else that's happened? Um, how have you kind of had to shift or make pivots um, in your professional life? Well, uh, if you can imagine, I run an organization you know, that does in-person learning. So uh, COVID-19 hit us pretty um, difficultly. However, we were able to pivot because we were able to convert our programs to an online version and, and scale our organization. So rather than being limited to being Northern California, we can open up our programs nationwide. Um, we even had kids from doing camps of ours that were in Dominican Republic. So um, we, uh, Part of what we're, 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 we're doing is converting what we do in person to an online experience. So for example, annually, um, I actually used to um, attend these types of programs when I was in high school, but annually I take a, between 100 and 120 high school students to the Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, I, I have a bus from San Jose, a bus from Sacramento and a bus from Oakland bring these students up and uh, for three days, they're exposed to work-life balance on, on the first day. So they learn mindfulness, they learn yoga, they go on a hike, and they learn about how to recharge in a stressful environment. Day two, I have tech companies come up and lead workshops on what they do for a living. So I have, um, the last year we did this, we had Walmart Labs, um, Northrop Grumman, GoPro, and Apple come up and lead workshops on the technology that they create at work. My kids learned how to do a pitch competition because they had to decide which workshop was the best and earn prizes. The last day they learned about colleges. So I had uh, Berkeley, Santa Cruz, and Tougaloo, a black university, come up and talk about the application process, what college life is like, and why they should go to college. So uh, that weekend long camp is a very experiential camp. We have tech professionals that that I hire that stay, that are trained that stay the weekend with these students as chaperones. And uh, it's a very uh, invigorating experience, but we've had to break that up into 
three different parts. A, focusing on the work-life balance aspects of things. Um, right now we're doing tech things. So last, our first installment of this, we had uh, a wonderful workshop with Fitbit. Um, we had the co-founder of Fitbit and the head of talent um, lead a workshop on online privacy for our students and also taught them about the algorithms that are involved in the signals on their wearables devices, how they um, translate into and convert into steps. So these are the kinds of uh, technolo technological workshops we put on from a culturally relevant perspective to get kids to understand what's going on behind the scenes and then hopefully motivate and inspire them to want to go to college, major in something STEM-related, and hopefully work in the tech industry. So those are examples of the kinds of things that we're able to do from an in-person versus an online experience in order to be able to still keep kids interested in wanting to go to college and major in STEM. Nice. That is very impressive. Um, on kind of a more personal note, since um, you have like full sessions on work-life balance and stuff for young students, what advice do you have for both students and adults um, on work-life balance during um, the pandemic when we're most of us are working from home? Yes, that's that's challenging. You know, I, at first when you know COVID really hit and at its height. I was struggling um, because even with the, the fires that were going on, I couldn't even do what I love to do and go run, you know, or, or like Joe said, he's gone now, but, but go hiking. And, and so uh, those are the kinds of things outdoors that I would recommend for that work-life balance aspects of things. For me, not everybody can afford their own home gym and that kind of stuff. So what I do is I'm a, a shameless plug for uh, um, uh, this guy named Bully Juice. But Bully Juice is a guy on YouTube that kind of helped me get through the pandemic. He does um, anywhere from 15 minute to 45 minute, you know, full body workouts on YouTube that you can search for. You know, the, the 15 to 20 minute ones are, are ideal because uh, I mean, literally you're just using your body, you know, <laughs> you don't need any weights, you don't need anything. And if you're able to get, you know, factor in three to four days a week of doing 20 to 30 minutes of, of exercise, you're going to be doing really good. And these are, these are full body. So, you know, arms, legs, cardio, et cetera. So um, that's how I gotten through COVID and haven't put on 400 pounds. And uh, that's how I would recommend people get through COVID finding something that uh, you're able to have physical um, workouts, also a lot of apps that are out there, Calm, you know, Headspace, things of that nature. Um, I'd recommend trying uh, just to have balance and not get stressed out. We have the, the conundrum of COVID-19 is that you save an hour and a half to three hours a day from commuting, you know, but the, the, that time gets filled up very quickly now that you're available more. So you have to be a lot more effective and efficient with your time and you'll look up and you're working at seven or eight o'clock at night which you normally wouldn't have done normally so yeah i was also I just hit the bully juice bully juice i'm telling you i'm, I'm not joking. what show that's he's, funny he's got a million a million uh views on, on some of his uh his workouts but go ahead maggie I was just gonna say, I'm also a runner and hiker. So yeah, during the fires, I was also suffering. <laughs> that was really rough. But yeah, online YouTube stuff is definitely very helpful. So thanks for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. um, so what advice would you have in general for young people who are looking to start their own organization or even their own business? Um, since you grew up thinking you were gonna do one thing and then you kind of transitioned and then you managed to combine them, um, so yeah, what, what advice do you have for, for young students about starting that kind of journey? You know, I'm a realist. And so I'm really, uh, I'm not the person necessarily that's gonna go out and tell every person to go start their own business and be an entrepreneur and do those things. That's just not me. Not everybody has the temperament nor the appetite to live this life where, you know, you get fed one day and you have to put it in the freezer that's going to last you a day when you don't think you need it, but you're going to need it. And so a lot of times uh, people try to go out and start organizations and start businesses, not understanding the uncertainty of it, 
granted that there's nothing that's certain, but um, if you're starting something and there's three or four other organizations around you that are doing the same thing, it really doesn't make much sense because you're all still going after the same amount of money that's out there to support these organizations. And so my guess or my thing is if you're interested or involved in a cause and if you're driven by the cause, then I would see, look at partnerships or looking at trying to collaborate with something that already exists first. Uh, there's nothing that I would encourage you, even when you start your own business, to get a board of directors, to um, have to get your own accountant, you know, lawyer, um, start your organization, maintain these documents, file these things, or just to say you have something of your own where you, know, you don't need to. Um, so like I said earlier that I started my organization kicking and screaming. I had no desire to start an organization. You know, <laughs> this was not, this is not what I saw myself. This is not me, you know, what I wanted to do. At the same time, we had a unique opportunity. We had money that was already earmarked for us. And we were, you know, we wanted to do something that we were already doing, you know, uh, that no one really was doing. You know, everyone's doing coding and software and getting kids interested in, in tech from this one T. However, the other letters of STEM are being neglected. And so we felt that there was room for us, especially here in the Bay Area, to say, hey, we're here. We're not like a lot of other organizations. We're focused on physics, chemistry, and real engineering. I've got a structural engineering bridge design workshop, a three-week workshop I'm doing next month for high school kids. So we're, we're about getting kids exposed to stuff that they're normally not going to get exposed to because we need just as many black engineers and brown engineers building buildings um, and, and all the other types of things that engineers are needed for. Nice, thank you so much for speaking on that. Mm -hmm. I wanna open up the floor to any students or any audience members who want to ask our guests a question. We have about 15 minutes left, so we got a good amount of time for, for audience questions. So my question would be, how do you find the students for your program in Santa Cruz? That's a good question. What I will tell you, and someone wrote in the chat, partnerships matter and that kind of stuff. This is true. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's the most frustrating and hard part of this work. You can have all the great intentions in the world. Mm -hmm. But if you can't get students and, and butts in seats to participate in this stuff, yeah, it feels like you're wasting your time. I've tried to develop partnerships with the county, the local school districts, the mm -hmm. board of uh, board of education, all of those things, mm -hmm. and uh, it is like every year it's starting over from scratch. One day you had a great counselor, someone that was um, being proactive and helping you get students. The next minute they transition to a different school or laid off or something and you're starting over. So the mm -hmm. continuity and the ability to get the word out really sucks. Mm -hmm. However, since we've been around for almost six years now, we have a database of we've kept of, you know, people that have come through our programs that we go through first line of defense of sending oh. information now that are able to share that information with younger, younger siblings or, you know, other people throughout the community. We also have developed strategic partnership with NSBE, uh, which has helped us get students from all over the country. Um, our program, this program particularly, our overnight camp, we partner with College Track. So we get College Track students. We do, we advertise the summer search as well. So a lot of organizations that exist do a lot, but they don't really have a STEM focus. Mm -hmm. So they look to us as saying, hey, well, we don't really give our kids enough STEM so if we can partner with you, we can, you know, make this a win-win. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's kind of how we've survived in that regard. All of our programs typically go under enrolled. I mean, we can take, you know, uh, 120, I could take 150 students camping. We usually get about 100 to 120. Mm -hmm. um, but 
Um, there's also, there's pros and cons to that too as well, because on one hand, you want to help as many kids as possible, but on another level, you really don't want kids that don't want to be somewhere 150 miles away that you're stuck with, you know? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> that is so true. So you have to also have, you know, a mechanism in place to make sure the kids that are coming really are going to, even if they don't want to be there, that they're not going to be the problem. Yeah. So, no, that's good to know. I actually received a phone call last week from um, a nonprofit organization in San Jose, and it's not on the STEM, the STEM sector, but she's looking for Black students to talk about the use usage of tobacco in our neighborhoods, right? And I'm thinking, how do I find these Black students that can put this program together and talk about the usage in our neighborhoods and um, the disparity, right? How do you do that? How do I find the students? And I was really surprised how hard it is to find Black students. I actually talked to a Black teacher in East San Jose, and I asked her, and she said the school she's teaching or the um, classrooms that she has, they're all Latino and Latinx, which is fine. I mean, there's still people of color, but you're, if you're talking Black students, that's been a challenge. It is a challenge, and I'm not going to sit there and say that it's easy. Right. I know that, uh, like I said, partnerships are key, but at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to be able to, if you want to serve this population, you have to be able to find them. And with COVID, it's making it even more difficult because at least what we could do in the past, I had a, um, someone who was in charge of outreach for us, and she mm -hmm. would literally print out the flyer and go to schools and post them inside the school and get counselors and the principal in order to put them in the home packets, you know, for okay. students. If you're not going to school, you know, you can't, <laughs> you know, you can't give it to them. And then right. even if you email it to them, there's no guarantee it's going to wind up in some kind of newsletter or anything like that. So it's, it's very challenging, but at the same time, you know, I can whine about it, but um, I'm from the school of just, you make things happen. I'm, I'm, I won't say I'm from Oakland, but I've got that Oakland mentality where right. just make things happen. Right. No, I understand. I totally get it. I'm from Detroit. So, mm -hmm. you know, your sister from the cold part of Oakland, <laughs> 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 you know, the snowy part of, of Oakland, same mindset though, but yes, we just have to make it happen. That's why I was curious how you find your kids. So good to know. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But I also, I'm not selfish. I spread a lot of information. So any program that comes through my inbox that's going to help kids, I forward it on to students, you know. So they may get four or five emails from me a week, maybe sometimes a day. But if they get it, if I get it, they get it, you know. And so I'm, I'm not selfish because at the same time, we're all helping our students. We do programs, but five programs a year is not going to um, be as sustainable as, you know, 20, you know, that you can do. So. Uh, if I find out about a scholarship or internship or something like that, uh, I'm hitting forward. All right. I wanted to ask. Oh, sorry, Tony. Want to go ahead? Oh no, no, go ahead. Uh, just because it's kind of related to this topic, uh, Mr. Nichols, I really appreciate um, definitely your discipline and your consistency, your your dedication to the community over the years. Because um, I know it could be very easily, you know, right, you go to law school, you make money, you have a business and you're good, you're set, you're chilling at home, you do your thing. Um, but it takes, um, you know, it takes a, a different mentality or I guess a, a priority to, to give back to the community. So I just wanted to ask, like, um, you know, to explain, like, what is the importance of giving back and why do you, why is it important for you to do that? You know, um, like I said, I've been a community organizer since fourth grade. So um, I've always been passionate about the community. And uh, as we celebrate Huey P. Newton's birthday yesterday, dedicated street to him in West Oakland, you know, uh, if, if, if we wait for someone else to provide stuff for us, we'll never have it. So we have to provide things for ourselves. Uh, so that's what motivates and inspires me. You know, it's really about, I'm driven by impact. So I do a lot with, uh, I mean, we've just talked about what I do in STEM, but uh, I'm also, you know, very involved in, you know, 
health and wellness. We talked about AAWP, but Joe will know, you know, uh, with him, I started uh, an organization, um, a hiking organization about six or seven years ago, um, left that organization, but started another one called Family Wellness Group, where we take people go hiking, organized hikes, you know, each weekend. And uh, once a quarter, we do an, an event, we'll do a ski trip or camping trip, or we'll do a destination trip, you know, um, hiking and things of that nature to get people out and comfortable being in the outdoors. So there are a number of things that, you know, I'm passionate about, including politics. I, I fundraise and raise money for local, but mostly national candidates that come through the Bay Area. Um, I, I raised money and worked for, for Jamie Harrison when he was running for Senate. Um, I'm a staunch supporter for Cory Booker and raise money for him when he's in town. So um, I, uh, I work hard on trying to help particularly black men, but black folks in general understand how to run for office and the, the infrastructure and things that they need to do in order to do that. I actually was a campaign manager for an Alameda County superintendent's race four or five years ago. Um, so I'm, I'm behind the scenes. I don't lead with a lot of other stuff that I'm involved in, but it's really about things that um, are going to make a difference or make an impact in the, in the world and in the community is what, what motivates and inspires me. I think that's awesome, Kevin, um, because as a real estate broker, um, other communities support one another all the time. And so as I'm sitting across the table with these contracts, you know, there's $200,000 being put down for the children to buy their first home. So other communities are doing this and we need to do it as well. And I love your statement driven by impact. That's huge. We can make such a difference <coughs> in these kids' lives with just minimal things. And so if we can maximize that on any level, it's huge, driven by impact. Yes, huge. Thank love you. it, love it. I'm really, uh, I'm feeling everything you're saying because we're right in the middle of trekking kids, trying to find them to get into this, uh, find them to get interested in anything. Kind of the hardest. I appreciate it. I'm getting about every every third word, Tom. You have to re repeat that again. I didn't hear you. Oh, you missed me there. Mm -hmm. No, I was just uh, giving you praise about what we're doing out here. Uh, you know, in the Oakland Unified School District, it's really hard for us to keep it's a constant battle for each one of us as mentors and counselors to try to put the impact on the district, but mm -hmm. we're trying to help. It's a lot of tobacco prevention, weed prevention, also mental health counseling. So just hearing what you do in uh, your spectrum is uh, very inspiring, especially I um, know for the workers that work with me. Uh, so this is a very interesting interview. Um, I had a question from Mr. McCray, actually. Mm -hmm. He said, what method do you use to generate funding? Uh, so yeah, I, I typed in a response, uh, but essentially what way we raise money is primarily through corporate foundations, um, just because of the fact that we partner with companies that do our programs. So uh, they typically um, invest if they're going to lead a workshop or be involved in a program, you know, we raise money from that. We also do um, individual um, donors. Um, we just recently got our 501c3. Uh, officially, we had a, a, a fiscal sponsor prior to that for a while. But essentially, uh, I some of the things you mentioned about my education and stuff, you know, they're, they're not, I don't have a graduate degree or anything like that. I, I basically learn information that I, I need to learn in order to be successful at what I'm doing. So uh, I did the, the, the fundraising academy through the Sanford Institute of Philanthropy. It was an eight month certification program at JFK University. The goal really was there was to teach nonprofit founders and leaders how to raise money. So uh, I went through that program. I learned the ins and outs of philanthropy and um, how to write grants, how to um, tell your, your organization's story, how to talk to funders about your organization, your program, and how to convince them to close the deal and basically uh, raise money um, that way. So um, that's some of the education that I've, I've, I've had specifically in order to do that. Uh, and it's not easy. A lot of people in philanthropy do not want to be known, don't want to be found. It is one of the, the industries that, uh, I mean, 
it's very perplexing. Uh, <laughs> uh, as a networker, it's it's very dumbfounding because usually you can find any target or get to know uh, anyone you need to, but these people are like off the radar on purpose. So it's really a, a long sales cycle. And um, it's not something that I enjoy. I hate raising money. I love talking about my organization. So I'm a program person. I do work. Uh, I don't, this is not my forte or things that I enjoy doing, but this is what I do in order to make sure that my organization exists and will continue to thrive. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I got a personal question, man. Considering everything you're into right now, like what are you doing just to keep some sanity of yourself during this pandemic? Like mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time myself. That's why I work out a lot. So, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing just to, to keep that heart pumping and, and keep your life going smooth? You know, uh, I'm really involved in, like I, I mentioned, uh, uh, doing work. You know, like I said, I work out. Um, I have got up to a place in my career where I'm, I'm trying to settle down a little bit more. You know, I'm a newlywed. I got married uh, at the end of 2018, you know, just bought a new construction home out here in Bay Point. And so uh, if I had stayed in a, a one bedroom apartment that we had in Walnut Creek, I would probably have not be sitting in front of you right now. I'd probably be dead on the road somewhere. So uh, needless to say, I got a little bit more space and I'm able to maximize um, that. I do, uh, I like to drive and go, you know, even if it's just getting out and getting some scenery um, and really focusing on solving this problem. So solving the things that we're working on is what gives me, you know, pleasure. I do this for, for fun, not because I need to, but because I want to. And that's how I'm able to get through it without really worrying about it too much. Glad, uh, brother Wayne. Now that we know you're in Bay Point, you're, you're close enough to where we can reach out and uh, get some information from and get some uh, assistance with what we're doing out here. So I want to thank you for that. Does anyone else have any questions for Brother Nichols today? I know you're up against time, but I do have a, a question, Dwayne. I know I'm kind of a, you know what question I'm asking. Um, Kevin, mentorship or role model? Um, I, I know you're self-driven, I know you're driven by impact, I know you, you, you're reaping in, in results, but did you have or do you have a mentor and are you also serving in that capacity for someone? Yes, um, I, uh, I kind of, if you ever watched the, the documentary that um, Reginald Hudlin did on uh, the Godfather, um, the Black Godfather, Behind I work with a lot of different uh, people. I have a lot of different mentees, a lot of different staff that are um, going on in their careers that are applying for jobs, applying for things that they need, letters of recommendation for or whatever, or facilitating introductions with, you know, if I'm, if I'm making strategic partnerships with, with companies, I'm meeting CEOs, I'm meeting, you know, head of divisions of companies, et cetera. So uh, facilitating introductions is what I do. Um, I, I run, uh, I'm the founder of the Bay Area Black Professionals Group, a LinkedIn group that has 6,500 members. And I also started the Downtown San Francisco Networking Group, which is for my, my white and Asian folks, because I believe that we all still need to, to network. And we have about 5,000 members there. Um, tonight, I'm doing a Black History Month celebration. Uh, you're welcome to join. Um, with some leaders in tech that are going to be talking about how they found their passion and their mission and how others can learn from them. I run uh, two networking meetings. Uh, one will be in the morning called Morning Cup of Java. That's for my downtown San Francisco networking group and my, uh, my, my organization called Reciprocity that I do um, for my Barry Black Professionals group. Both of those groups are about referrals. We'll have about 20 to 25 people on those calls and essentially you do for a minute and a half, you talk about what you do for a living. If you're not doing what you wanna do, you tell everyone what you wanna do for a living. And then the last thing you tell everyone is what a good referral for you is. And then that's it. So the meeting is over. And then after that, you've heard from 25 people what they're trying to do, what they need to do and how you can help them. 
So the goal really, we do this every third Friday of the month. It's once a month. So if someone asks in the chat, how do, when do I sleep? I do that once a month. It's not hard. Um, and essentially everyone is able to find out why people are there, what they, they're looking for. And you can't help from that month to the next month to run into someone who may be able to help one of those individuals that you heard that they're trying to do. Um, so what ends up happening is that you start facilitating introductions and people are getting exposed to the individuals they need to get exposed to in order to take them to the next level. And so for me, it's all about doing the continuum, but it's also when people get where they're trying to go and you don't collect any money or it's nothing that transpires for you directly, you always have referrals later. So when I come back and that person gets that job or gets in that position and I say, I've got a little sister or brother here that needs your help, chances are I'm going to get that help because they remember what it was that I did for them when they needed it. So that's how it happens. That's how you get the capital that you need to be able to help others. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, Michael, but um, that was that's how I would answer it. And I do have a few more minutes. I know you guys are time. I don't know if your podcast is, you know, people don't listen after X amount of minutes. You can <laughs> truncate things if you want, but if you still have more, more questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. Yeah, I can leave the floor over for a moment. Anybody else have any more questions? Uh, if not, we can, uh, we can wrap it up. Ms. Maggie, do you have anything for the floor? All I have to say is thank you so much for your time. This has been such an awesome interview. And yeah, it's just so amazing to hear about everything that you're doing. So thank you so much. And I just have one. So I need to call you because I think we talked about putting together an HBCU satellite school here. So I wanna pick your brain on that and set up a mentoring program where we can prepare the kids to go into tech. Because oftentimes I hear Google, Facebook, Intel, and Apple. We don't have any black talent here. We do. We absolutely do. So I want to talk to you about that. Well, you can, and I'll just tell you this, Tanya, because timing is perfect. Yeah. You can still go to my website. I've already had two of them done the last week and, and, and earlier this week, but I'm doing an HBCU virtual college tour okay. <laughs> with Dr. Brown. We've already had, we did Howard and, um, nice. and Hampton already, but we've got uh, Morehouse and Spelman and North Carolina A&T coming up. Okay. Essentially, we have graduates from these universities. They're coming. We're, show, we're showing the candid virtual tour that the school puts on first. Okay. So we're having graduates from there who were STEM majors talk about their experience in college, mm -hmm. what they loved about college, how they survived college, and mm -hmm. what they're doing now. And okay. how they use that experience to pivot their careers to get to where they're trying to go. So that's called our virtual tours. The website and flyer to register are on our website. Okay. And you're okay. welcome to get that Kevin, I did, Kevin, I did not hear you say Xavier University of Louisiana. <laughs> we ranked number three. We gave y'all a shout out. We gave y'all a shout out on yesterday. Um, we did this on Tuesday night. We did a part of the show we showed with the top 20 HBCUs. And Xavier was up there in like number four or five. So you guys are up there. You got your shout out. They showed the school and everything. I've been there. I've been to the library. I've seen the right. 65 plus AKs that were made when I went to the Bayou Classic. So I definitely understand and oh, know about year. I, I definitely know about Xavier and it's, a, it's definitely a great school. Totally. Yes. Well, if you need mentors, as you know, we have some amazing people on our board that work at Intel and Apple, PG&E, Stanford, Google. So if you need assistance, we can help partner with you on that project. Send me, send me a LinkedIn request, Tanya, and, okay. we'll, and you, we'll, we can talk offline and um, I'll definitely share what we can collaborate. I'm a collaborator, mm -hmm. so um, definitely can, can do that. Awesome. I'm excited. This was great. I appreciate being invited and being a part of this amazing space and these amazing people. I'm just uh, appreciative to have Mr. Hall of Fame LinkedIn here today. This yeah, is great. Right. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, a lot of information. We're definitely going to be linking up with you, Dwayne, always with the great assist, uh, bringing in some great guests and just people that are really motivated and innovative. We're very appreciative. Um, we went a little over time, but it was well worth it because uh, all this information was well needed and uh, the world needs to hear this. So uh, today, I just want to thank you, Mr. Nichols, for sharing this time with us. 
always at the end of our show, we like to spend some time for you to promote anything you have coming. So got 30 seconds. The floor is yours. Well, thank you. As I mentioned, we're doing the HBCU virtual college tour right now. Um, I'm doing a next month. We're doing our three week structural engineering program called our it's our virtual overnight camp. And just solidified this morning our dates for summer, our summer program science in the city, which will be June 21st to the 25th, I believe. So we're uh, around to help young kids get interested in math and science. We're also here to make sure that companies um, don't make the excuse that there's not diverse talent that's out there. Um, help with our strategic partnerships of organizations that have black engineers, scientists, as well as marketers, financial folks, et cetera. So there's no shortage here. Um, and so we're advising and helping companies in that space as well. Um, and just want to say thank you guys for the opportunity to do what I love doing is talk and uh, share any information that I have. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I post all the stuff that I'm talking about. <laughs> so you will see it as well as if you uh, would like, you can you know connect with me and let me know you want to be added to our distribution list. And we'll definitely keep you informed of other programs and things that are happening in the Bay and, and nationwide. So um, thank you guys for highlighting the work that people do in the community and um, just uh, let me know how I can return the favor. Appreciate it. Uh, we are very honored and privileged to have you join us today. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for joining our little Motley crew here at We The Scenario. You can catch all our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and YouTube. Also give us a follow on Instagram at We The Scenario Podcast, at Mentoring On The Fly, and at We Lead Ours. I'm your host, Tony Siona, alongside the incomparable Miss Maggie B. Please stay safe, wear your mask, and spread love as often as you can. Be well, my good people. Peace and love. This is a really great show. Thank this you. This is a really great guest. Yeah.